Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Kurt Miller. Um, if you've been here at all over the last 10 weeks during our series, I'm sure you have seen me as well. But if you're new here, obviously welcome, as Randall said. We've been doing a series, and this series for the last 10 weeks, we've called it Seek First the Kingdom. And this morning is the last uh, service or the last uh, message for that series. And so I'm going to be, be closing that series out. And next week is the first Sunday of Advent, and we'll enter into the Advent series. And so um, this morning, as we start, um, I'm gonna, I want to overview just briefly some of the stuff we talked about. And then my main, the main thing I'm feeling this morning and that I've, I've sensed as I prepared is how God has equipped us to seek first the kingdom. And that's where we're going to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17, and we'll read from there. It says this, John 14, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you are present with us. Lord, that you direct us to yourself, through your spirit. God, we thank you for your nearness this morning. We thank you for the way we can touch and access your kingdom here, now, this morning. Lord, we pray that as we read this scripture, as we talk about your kingdom, and as we encounter you today, that you would draw us close. You would show us how you have equipped us and empowered us to seek your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's been a long week and a half for me and my family, so if anything sounds off this morning, I'm sorry. We all got sick. We all got a cold over the last week and a half, and if anyone has kids that are little, it's just, it's just like dominoes. It's just one after the other. Drop, drop. And so we've been dealing with that. So if anything sounds heretical, I'm sorry. You can email me at steve at vintage242.com and you can ask me about that. But this morning, before I jump into this passage, I want us to just do a quick review. We've been doing this for 10 weeks now. Seek first the kingdom. And as I was thinking this morning, I just want to do, I'm not going to re-preach all of these sermons, but I just want to Talk about four different trends that I've noticed through the last 10 weeks. So if you picture it, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the kingdom. We see the kingdom here in the center and we've just been, we've been looking at it from different angles to understand what the kingdom is so that we can know how to seek the kingdom. And some of the things I saw, we started at the beginning of this series talking about the culture of the kingdom and the culture. Steve really helped to establish a foundation, the kingdom that has been lost the kingdom that is coming, and the kingdom that is here. 
And then also what goes along within the culture is what we see in the Sermon on the, uh, Sermon on the Mount. That the Beatitudes and the things that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that that is what makes up the culture of the kingdom. But then we looked at it also from a different angle, and we see the tension. In fact, it, we called it the great tension that we can experience in the kingdom. And John, in particular, we use this as an example, the life of John the Baptist, when he sent his disciples, he was in prison, and he sent his disciples to Jesus to, to see, is he really the one? And we talked about how John, maybe John was really experiencing doubt in that moment. Maybe John was not sure, and many times we experience that in our life of faith. We've experienced the tension. We've experienced him. We've tasted, but still we're unsure and we feel this great tension. But then we also looked at it from another angle, which was more about gospel living is what I what I would call it. And we talked about the fruits of the spirit and uh, the sacrifice that we that we embrace as we seek the kingdom. We embrace sacrifice and sacrificial living, but also in this culture. In, in living out the gospel, we have a challenge to stand for truth in a culture of compromise. And then the final angle that we looked, and, and Steve really hit this last week, was maybe the behaviors, I guess you could say, that come when we seek first the kingdom. And he used Colossians 3 to do that, as well as the fruits of the Spirit. And so we've looked at the kingdom of God and, and tried to define, more or less, the kingdom of God over these last 10 weeks. And this morning... If there's one direction, I guess, that I could summarize for you, it would be this. As we close this series, the thing I want us to take away is that God has equipped us to seek his kingdom by giving us his spirit through which we can access the power of God and the sustaining grace of God. So God has given, he's equipped us by giving us his spirit through which we can access the power of God and the sustaining grace of God. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time and uh, using the passage in John chapter 14. Now, in this passage, Jesus says some challenging things. In John chapter 14, Jesus says greater works than these. And we've heard this passage. And many times we're challenged with this passage because I think, for me, I sometimes want to reinterpret this passage or try to retranslate this passage because we don't always see these greater works, right? We, see, we read this passage, and Jesus says he's sending the Holy Spirit, and because he's sending the Holy Spirit, we will be able to do greater works than these. And not only that, he reemphasizes it. If you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, you will see happen. And when I think about that, I think about it in two ways. What did Jesus do? He's saying greater works than these, what you've seen. So what did Jesus do? Jesus calmed storms. He healed sick people, leprosy. He opened up blind eyes. He made crippled people walk. And he delivered people from demonic oppression or possession. And he raised the dead. And many other things that we could talk about. Jesus did all of these things. But there's another aspect of the things that Jesus did, and it's this. Jesus loved his enemies. Jesus was not offended with man or with God. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. 
In humility, Jesus told people to conceal his identity after he performed a miracle. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father and was willing to die on a cross. So we see that these greater works that I believe Jesus is referring to here, there's two aspects of it. One of them, yes, is the manifest presence and power of the kingdom. What Hebrews says is that we taste of the power of the age to come now. But the other aspect of it is what you could call the fruits of the spirit, <clears throat> which are for us come through the sustaining grace. God gives sustaining grace for us as we seek the kingdom so that we can also do the works that Jesus did, not just the manifestations of power, but the works of forgiveness, the work of loving your enemy. And those are the two themes that we'll go to go into this morning. Now, when I think of the power of God, there's a story that I experienced a few years back. You guys know that my family and I were missionaries in the Middle East. And there's a story, an encounter that we had or or an experience that we had that I felt like explained this element pretty well. A few years ago, we decided together with a team that we have uh, that's serving overseas to do something we called a faith journey. And a faith journey is something we took out of Luke chapter 10 when Jesus sends out the 72, two by two. And he sends them out and says, take nothing with you. And whenever you go into a village, find the person of peace. And that person of the peace, person of peace, excuse me, more or less will receive your message or receive the messenger, receive your message and recommend you to the community. So we decided, why don't we try this? It's Jesus's method. Maybe maybe it'll work. And so. We said together, why don't we split our, we had a a larger team. Why don't we split up into groups of two or three and go to different villages? So we did. But not only that, we took it quite literally, which I don't know if I would recommend anyone to do, but we did. And we did not take any money with us. And the way that we did it was we got a bus ticket from from where we were based to a village. And then two days later, we had a bus ticket back from the village to the city. So we did not have any money. And we were planning on being there for two days. Not recommended, right? So we did take a phone, but it was an old Nokia phone. So if you get bored, you're allowed to play snake, right? Okay. And if there's an emergency, you can call somebody. So we decided to do this faith journey. And for us and the small group that we were with, we went to a village uh, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. We left overnight, so we show up at 7 in the morning. And so we, we have the whole day to, quote, unquote, find a person of peace and hopefully have a place to stay that night. As we get there, we're walking around and we're praying and, you know, in the morning, it's, it's good. It's exciting. You know, we're, we we're hoping and wondering who's going to be willing to host us tonight, who's going to give us food. And slowly, four o'clock rolls around and we're still wandering around the city and we have not found anyone who is opening up their doors to us and we have not found any food and I'm pretty hungry. And so... At that point, another guy, it was me, another guy and a girl. He says, this other guy that's with us, he says, why don't we get on one of these buses and go to a, a little bit further out? And, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. There's not there's already not many people here and there's far less people out there. Maybe we should just stay here. But he really says we should go out. And I'm thinking, OK, oh, goodness, it's four o'clock already. So we get on this bus, and when I say bus, I'm talking like 12-passenger van that you just cram into. And we go out, and as we get out, now we're really in the middle of nowhere, and there's uh, nothing 
all we see is like in the distance, we see maybe five or six apartment complexes bunched together. But we're like walking on dirt roads, you know, and there's trees and there's rocks and way away there's like six apartment complexes. And I'm like, okay, this was not a good idea. (laughs) We need to turn around because that bus is probably not coming back until tomorrow. But we start walking. We we decided, why don't we just go up there? Who knows? This is probably a bad, this is probably going to end bad. We'll probably sleep under the trees, but let's just go up there and see what's there. So we walk up and as we get to this little compound, I guess you could call it. I don't know if it was a compound, but it was like a small village within a village. A village is already small. Okay. This was smaller. And we get up there and as we walk in, there's a police officer that basically welcomes us. I mean, obviously we stand out like a sore thumb. We're three Americans in the middle of a Middle Eastern country in a village. He's like, what in the world are they doing here? But he welcomes us in. And so we come in and into this, you know, this little compound or whatever. And he says, one second, one second. He doesn't speak English. And he says, let me go get my wife. I mean, that's what we understood. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what we understood, but he just like ran away to get something is what it seemed like. And then his wife comes back and his wife is fluent in English. I'm like, oh, praise God, because if that was not going to happen, I don't know what would have happened. But that really is a miracle. Okay, that doesn't sound like a big thing, but they don't know much English in these parts. Okay, so she was fluent in English. So we're like, oh, great. Like, we can talk to you. So we start talking and and we're like, yeah, we're uh, students. We're just tourists. She's like, what brings you here? We're like, "Uh, we I mean, we just wanted to explore. Uh, She probably thought we were crazy. So. We're talking, and, and what she says, in this particular area, there were a lot of ruins, maybe a 1,000 years old, 2,000, really 2,000 years old or so. She says, why don't we take you to go and see these different places? And we're like, okay, yeah, sure, let's, let's, let's go with you. And so we get in the police car with her husband. Like, we get a like an armed tour of this little area, and he takes us over. He, like, flashes his lights and all this stuff, and... We go out in the middle of nowhere and these, there's these like, there's incredible ruins, like cave houses and different things. And we're seeing this and we're just like, man, this is awesome what we're seeing here. And, and we're just talking with her. She's translating some for her husband. And, and, and then as we're, we were there maybe 30 minutes or so and, and she says, well, what are you guys doing tonight? And we're like, well, I mean, we don't, uh, she's, do you want to come to dinner? We're like, yes, yeah, we would love to come to dinner. Yeah, we don't have any dinner plans. Please invite us to dinner. And then, and then she's like, and do, I mean, do you guys need to go back to the city? We're like, no. Do you want to stay with us? Yes. We would love to stay with you too. So we, we got that settled. We feel like we got our place to stay that night. We get in the car and we're headed back to this little area where they live. And while we're in the car, she starts talking to us. Now, to give you a little context, they already assume that we're Christian, just being from America. That's kind of an assumption they have. And so as we're talking in the car going back, she looks, she looks at us and says, now, are you guys, are you Christian? And, and we're like, yes, we are. You know, we haven't talked anything about this so far. And she says, well, a couple of years ago, I actually ordered a New Testament and had it sent to me because I was interested to know more about Jesus. Okay, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen in Middle Eastern countries. You don't randomly run into a, someone in a village who was ever interested in Jesus, ever. That never happens. And it hasn't even happened to me since then in that way. But she said, a couple years ago, I was interested in knowing more about Jesus. And I ordered a Bible so that I could find out more. Can I ask you some questions? 
And so during that car ride, we start to ask questions. We get back, we start to answer questions. We get back to her house and she asks more questions and we answer those questions. We have dinner and we fellowship with them and we share the message of the gospel with them. She translates it for her husband. And then later that night, grandma, who lives with them, grandma comes in the room and, um, and grandma has a pain in her hip. And so me, I don't consider myself to have much faith. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, let's, okay, grandma has a pain in her hip. But my friend who was on our team, she says, I think we should pray for her. And I'm like, no, 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 this has gone well. Let's not, let's not make this look bad. Like she might not get healed. That's not a good idea. Let's just move on and go to sleep and leave tomorrow. But she says, no, I think we should pray for her. So I'm like, okay, all right, let's pray for her. So the wife translates a very simple prayer for this grandma to be healed. And that was it. And we went to bed. The next morning, grandma woke up. And I am not kidding you. Grandma said, she came to us and told us, when I got out of bed this morning, I jumped. And I had no pain in my hip. I jumped and I had no pain in my hip. And I'm sitting there thinking, how did this even happen? I mean, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't. You couldn't make set this up if you tried. Like, I couldn't engineer this or make this happen or create a divine encounter. But these are the things that I think Jesus is referring to, some of the things that he's referring to when he says greater works than these. We, as believers, have access to the Holy Spirit. And when we put ourselves out and depend on God and live by faith, God will give us his spirit. And we can see in that way, we can see demonstrations of power of the Holy Spirit. We see a family that's open to receiving this message. And then God confirms that message and that word by touching this lady's body. Something that I was sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so scared. I'm freaking out. We're going to sleep under the trees tonight. God moves and touches them because of his desire for them. And when we position ourselves He uses us as vessels in that way. But there's another aspect, I think, of the greater works. And the other aspect is that Jesus did more than just these external miracles and signs. Jesus lived what he preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus loved his enemies. Jesus could forgive. Jesus was not offended with man or with God. Jesus concealed his identity in humility. He did not walk around saying, hey, I'm going to perform this miracle. And then everyone, look, this is who I am. No, Jesus in humility concealed his identity. Jesus washed his feet, washed the feet of his disciples. These are greater works also. And those greater works, I believe he wants us to participate in as well. Now, when it comes to grace, there's two things there's two, the, the, grace can be defined in two ways, or excuse me, there's two types of grace. There's justifying grace, which we're all familiar with. You're saved by grace through faith. You've been justified to God. But there's also something I call sustaining grace. And as believers, God is, has given us his grace to sustain us, to empower us to seek the kingdom. And in seeking the kingdom, we produce the fruits of the Spirit, How does that happen? First, we need to understand with grace. Grace can be distorted in two ways. When we receive grace, 
We have an option. Either we can respond to that grace or we can distort that grace by trying to earn our salvation and prove ourselves to God and earn God's love. Or we can respond half-heartedly to that grace. Paul says to the Corinthians, as workers together with him, I plead with you not to distort the grace of God. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. And when we're receiving it in vain, we're either trying to prove ourselves or earn God's love, or we're, try, we're responding half-heartedly. Taking the grace of God as a license to do whatever we want, knowing that he'll forgive us. I tend to, uh, maybe in my weakness, if I'm responding wrongly to the grace of God, it's because I'm trying to prove myself to God. I think I have to work and earn and, and perform, but God's saying, no, just receive my grace. But then others, maybe they're responding to the grace of God with a half-hearted way. So uh, both of these things are two ways we can distort the grace of God. But he's calling us to just receive the grace of God. Outside of God's kingdom, we live under condemnation. Outside of God's kingdom, we're powerless in regards to sin. We live in darkness and we're without hope. But inside of his kingdom, seeking first his kingdom, receiving his grace, we now realize that he has condemned sin in sinful man. That's Romans 8. We realize that we have power. We're no longer under the sway of the wicked one or the prince of this world, Satan, but we have power to overcome sin. We realize that we're not in darkness. We are in light. And we realize that we have hope. Because of the resurrection. So. The three ways that I think. In Romans 6. Which I'm going to use this to explain this. There are three ways that we can cooperate. With God's grace. Romans 6. 11 through 14. Says this. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive in God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin reign in your body. To make, you, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, you're under grace. Now, in the classic Paul way, he explains that last verse in the previous verses. Because you're under grace, he says in verse 11, see yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Because you're under grace, see yourself as dead to sin, but alive to God. This is what I would call knowing. Knowing our place. How can we cooperate, cooperate with God's grace? We know our place because of Christ. We know with confidence that we are dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. We know with confidence that he has condemned our sin, that we do not need to condemn it ourselves. So we can stand before him confident. We can stand knowing that the blood of Jesus is applied to our sins and that when he looks at us, he sees us as righteous. And then the second principle that we see 
is to resist Satan and sin. Because we are under grace and not the law, he says, resist Satan and sin. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. He says, do not. You are under the law of grace, not the law. You are under grace, not the law. So do not. Live in sin or present your body to sin. Do not give in to the lust of the flesh. We have a responsibility by the grace of God to present ourselves to righteousness, not unrighteousness. When he says members of your body, you can define that as your money, your gifts, your talents, the things that you have. Paul is saying here, do not present those as instruments of unrighteousness. Resist Satan. Resist sin. And the third principle that we see in order to cooperate with God's grace is in 13, verse 13. Instead, present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We pursue God wholeheartedly. We give him all that we have. We give him our time, our money. Instead of giving those things to unrighteousness, we give them to righteousness. We give them to God for him to use how he pleases. These are ways that we can cooperate with God's grace. I'm going to repeat them. We know who we are. We know that he has already condemned our sin and that we are right before him. Second, we resist Satan and we resist sin. We do not give in to the lust of the flesh. And third, we pursue God wholeheartedly. Instead of giving in to the lust of the flesh, we pursue God. We give everything to God wholeheartedly. In, do, in doing these things, we embrace the life of Jesus and bear the fruit of Jesus. Not out of legal duty, but from the place of desire. The thing about grace is that it's free. But it costs you everything. Grace is free. Salvation is free. But it costs you everything. And when we give him everything, it's not because we have to. It's because we desire to. We have experience and encounter. And and we want to give him everything. That is what grace is. And that is the way that grace equips us to seek first the kingdom. Toby, if you want to go ahead and come up as we close. Now, as I said in the beginning, as we're closing this series, I think the point for this morning is is recognizing how God has equipped us by giving us the Holy Spirit in order that we can taste the power and the sustaining grace of God. In order that we experience power, the greater external works, but also the sustaining grace, the internal works, as I described about Jesus. Yes, he raised the dead. Yes, he healed the sick, as we should pray for and do also. But he also, in humility, forgave. He loved his enemies. And God has given us the helper, what John says in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit, to equip us to seek God and seek the kingdom in that same way. We're going to go into a time of ministry. And during this ministry time, 
it's pretty simple. I want to encourage us to open our hearts and let God show us how he has equipped us. Show us that he's already given us everything we need in order to seek the kingdom. Through the Holy Spirit, he's given us everything we need. Let's pray together as we transition into a time of ministry. Lord, we love you. God, we welcome your presence this morning. Lord, our desire is to depend on you and on the Holy Spirit. To see the greater works, both signs and wonders and demonstrations of power, but Lord, also the fruits of the Spirit, which are just as miraculous that come through your grace that you give us through your spirit. But as we pray this morning, and as we make room for you to speak, I ask that you would open up our ears. We want to seek first your kingdom, Lord. That is our desire. Spirit, come and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name.